Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hackett has the ball. Trojans in transition. Penrose is alone. They get it to Penrose for the three. Welcome to Believe in USC Basketball, everyone. My name is Aiden Berg, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Christopher Penrose. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to to get started with this uh, and restart the show a little bit. Obviously, uh, you have hosted it before, and uh, I'm I'm just excited to to join on with you. Uh, a little bit about me before we get going. I am a, a senior at USC. Uh, I'm studying journalism and. I want to go into sports media, so I've been covering all the USC teams throughout my time there, basically. So uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to, to do a little bit more of that here with uh, a, a guy like you who certainly knows what he's talking about with the team. Do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, your background with that? Yeah, of course. I played at USC from 2003 to 2007. Uh, my senior team uh, went on to the Sweet 16, uh, where we unfortunately lost in North Carolina. Uh, but that was an amazing year for USC basketball, Nick Young and Taj Gibson, Gabe Pruitt, all those guys. Uh, I'm one of two, uh, three-time uh, captains of the USC basketball team. I share that honor with Jordan McLaughlin, who graduated a couple of years ago. Um, and I live, eat, breathe, sleep USC basketball. So I'm excited to get this going. Yeah, and and hopefully everyone listening is is, is excited to hear us uh, because this is a this is an exciting team when 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 they get to be on the court anyway for sure. And uh, today we're just going to you know do actually a little bit of a recap of last season uh, that ended you know so strangely for for everyone. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this year's team who is who is here who left from last year's team, and then uh, talk a little bit more about. Uh, what's been going on this season and, and what's coming up for this team. So, Chris, are you ready to get going? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So we're going to start out with the end of the 2019-2020 season uh, with those three straight wins that USC did have against ASU, uh, U- University of Arizona, and then UCLA. Finished the season 22-9 and for the Trojans. They were looking at, you know, one of like the middling seeds, I think, Chris, right? An 8-10 to 10 kind of in that area. Yeah, exactly. And, and- you know, before that three-game home stretch uh, to end the Pac-12 season for the Trojans, it was a very, very pivotal point of the year. They were, you know, very firmly on the bubble. Um, I was of the belief that if they won two of those three games, they were probably one of the last four in. And if they won all three, they were for sure in. And then basically worked on their seeding through the Pac-12 tournament. So getting those two wins against Arizona, although I believe Arizona is missing one of their key players who was uh, ended up getting drafted in the second round of the NBA draft this year. Uh, SE held them to like a low of like 40 something points, uh, which I can't remember the last time an Arizona team scored that little. Um, and then, you know, I, I feel like their defense against uh, the, the Arizona schools and UCLA really propelled uh, the coaching staff 
for this year's team. We'll get into their defensive statistics later on in this in this show. Uh, but if you if you see the tenacity on defense that the Trojans displayed on those last three games, uh, you can definitely see that translate to uh, this year as the you know three or four returners uh, have really kind of implemented that into this year's strategy. But you can't you can't talk about the end of last year and not have the discussion over that amazing UCLA game exactly. uh, where Jonah Matthews hit the three-pointer with basically no time left uh, to, 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 to win that game. And, I mean, the crowd was, you know, everyone was on their feet. It, it, you couldn't have written a better ending to a four-year career uh, for Jonah Matthews. And, you know, if, if your season's going to be ended by the coronavirus – you know, that's how you want your season year to, to end, having that three-point victory shot against your, you know, most hated rival. Uh, having that be the last thing you do as a USC Trojan is pretty special. And I, you know, I watched Jonah grow up, uh, and to, to see that ending for him uh, just warms my heart, made me very, very proud of him. Yeah, I was in the stands for that game, luckily enough, uh, and it was it was a jam-packed uh, place to be in, as most of the UCLA games usually are. It was, it was hard in the student section even to to get a seat. Luckily, I was there to see that, and man, that was that was quite the game. Yeah, <laughs> and, it was, and quite it was amazing. It, I actually, it's a funny story. I was I was a groomsman in in one of my best friend's wedding. It was his bachelor party that weekend. So I couldn't go to the game. I gave up my seats to my, my future brother-in-law, um, who's, a, who's a big Trojan fan. But my, my buddy was, he played football at UCLA. And so there were a bunch of other UCLA football players there uh, at the bachelor party. We were watching the game, and we were just going at each other. And to have that ending was one of the greatest like bachelor party moments of my life, and that's saying a lot. That is that is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly uh, the place. I'll, I'll just put it this way: it wouldn't have been a good place for a UCLA fan to be <laughs> when, yeah. when that when that shot went in. Um, but you you kind of talked about it. That's about as good an ending as you could have to a career for for Jonah Matthews. Uh, but on on the flip side, that did end up being the unexpected end of his career and and a lot of other guys on the team in the end of the season for uh, this specific team that was doing really so well at the end of the season and, and kind of hitting on all cylinders. So, you know, what, what did you think we were going to see from them in the PAC 12 tournament, the NCAA tournament? And then, you know, how disappointing is it to know that it wasn't able to happen and that they weren't able to prove themselves that way? Yeah. I mean, what everyone says, uh, all the coaches, all the analysts, everyone that talks about the NCAA tournament is you always have to be wary of the teams that are ending the season on the high note. So if you look at, you know, Dayton, for example, right. Mid-major team, they were ending the season on the high note. You look at San Diego state, a team that's very close to my heart as I'm from San Diego. Um, you know, you look at what they had with Malachi Flynn and, and Fagan and all those guys. And, you know, they were, they were, you know, riding in on a two loss season with all that momentum. You look at the Trojans, who just beat three quad one teams, all big wins, going into a tournament where they have a lot of confidence. That's the team that's dangerous, a team that ends up being an eight, seven, six seed that all of a sudden has that confidence playing against, you know, some big name teams. Those are the squads that you don't want to see in a tournament. You, you, you know, you want to play a, a team that's, you know, lost three or four, just kind of snuck in. That's what you want in the first round. You don't want a USC team that's flying high beating the UCLA and Arizona and Arizona State. That, that's, not, that's not what you want. 
So there was a lot of excitement about this team, especially with, you know, Onyeko Kongwu, who went, you know, a lottery pick to the Atlanta Hawks, very happy for him. Um, and, and, you know, they just kind of had all the pieces and they finally started to click. You had Daniel Tomey, uh, who, who really became that perimeter threat. You know, I thought when he started the game towards the end of the year, uh, that really kind of boosted Enfield's lineup. Um, you had, you know, Quentin Adlish coming off the bench. It, you just had, you had every piece kind of doing what they were supposed to do. All the guys kind of figured out what their job was and they were doing their jobs. And that's when a team gets dangerous is when people know their role, they know what they're coming to the game to do. They're okay with it. You have no egos and you're just playing as a team. And SC was right at that point at the end of last year. Yeah. And to everyone listening, uh, when you, when you hear Chris Penrose say, uh, you know, finishing strong, you have to know that this is from someone who knows a lot about how to do that. And uh, if you were wondering where our intro comes from, uh, just search up his name and uh, see, see what you find uh, from, from, from when he was playing for the Trojans. I totally agree. I think that USC would have been a tough, a tough matchup for anyone in the, uh, in, in the tournament, in the Pac-12 tournament, NCAA tournament, because, First of all, I don't want to go up against any team that really plays great defense. That's just the number one thing that you want to try to avoid because that can keep them in any game. Uh, if, if you're a great offense and you can blow people out of the gym, that's great. But sometimes it's just going to be a little bit off, right? And uh, Whereas defense, it's, just, it's always going to keep them in a game. And if they're playing against a team that maybe is a higher seed, uh, it, that's a, a, certainly a way to kind of elevate your chances of being able to hang in with those higher seeded teams. And then also a team that had found its identity, I think, uh, in terms of being that huge, long, athletic, defensive team uh, that keeps scores you know, pretty low. And you don't want to go up against a team that really knows itself, right? You, you want yeah. to go up against a team, like you said, that's kind of like struggling, going into the end, uh, not really knowing who they are as a team. And that was certainly uh, not the case with, with USC yeah. at the end of the 2020 season defense always travels, right? Like that's what, that's what every coach loves to say is, you know, if you, if you go into a new arena, you know, your, the background could be different. Your shot could be off a little bit, but the, you know, the defense always travels. Uh, you can always play good defense. You can always create offense off of the steal or shot clock violation. You know, defense is really where the game starts. And, and that's something you can bring with you on every trip. Yeah, you mentioned some of the guys already who uh, departed from last year's team, but I think we can move on to to talk about that a little bit more in depth right now. Um, yeah, and let's let's start with you know the big one, the big man, Big O, Onyeka Kongwu, uh, such a great player for for USC last year, especially uh, just as an interior presence, kind of the the focal point of such a strong defense. Uh, certainly, it helped that they had size at all of those other positions and in good defenders, but. You know, he went top 10 in the draft for a reason. Um, so, you know, what were you thinking uh, with, with him with him departing? What did USC lose in him? And then uh, what, did, what were you kind of thinking that they needed to do to kind of make up for that loss? Yeah, so the thing about Big O is that you, he, just him being there made teams worry of driving to the basket, right? It's something, and, you know, Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about Evan Mobley a little bit, but it's something that Evan Mobley also brings to this year's team. But if anyone's driving to the hoop against Big O, you have that in the back of your head that he could come out of nowhere and block your shot. Um, and, and he was just incredible at that. His ability to know where the ball is, whether if it's a ball coming off 
for a rebound, whether it's a shot going up, whether it's a layup, his ability to be a ball hawk was pretty special. And that's something that, uh, you know, I think really propelled him to being drafted as high as he was. But, you know, he was a leading scorer at 16 points a game. He was getting eight rebounds a game. Um, and you lose that. You lose Jonah Matthews, who was 13 points, you know, three rebounds and two assists a game. Nick Rakosevich, 10 points, eight rebounds a game. Daniel Lutomi, eight points, four rebounds a game. Uh, you know, Elijah Weaver was their fifth leading scorer who transferred to Dayton. He was at six points, uh, two rebounds a game. I mean, you just look at it. This team loses their top five scorers. And, and you know, they're off to a really good start this year. But, you know, this is what college basketball has kind of turned into. And some people love it. Some people hate it. But if you look at a Gonzaga or, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, Arizona has turned into kind of like a main landing spot for, for the transfer portal. You have these guys that will just, you know, if they're not getting what they want their first two years at a college, they'll just jump in the transfer portal and go play somewhere else. And then you also have the, the uh, you know, the, the fifth year players, um, which is a rule I actually love. Um, and if you look at like a San Diego state or Nevada, uh, they've actually capitalized on this, having these, you know, fifth year guys uh, uh, come into their program. Um, and I, I think, I think, you know, that's actually great for college basketball. Uh, and it gives, you know, these, these student athletes the flexibility to, you know, get a different scenery for their last year. Um, and, you know, try to make a name for themselves at another school. And I, I just think it's a great rule. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then not only did USC lose their top five scorers from last year, they also lost four of their top five assisters uh, and then six of their top eight rebounders. So we're really talking about uh, between Big O and Matthews, uh, Nick Rakosevic, Daniel Tomey, Quentin Adlish, and then Weaver, Kyle Sturdivant. And then I, I didn't know if I should count Drake London on this list because he didn't really play a whole ton last year, but he did leave the team this year. Uh, so that between that, that's eight departures from last year's team. And that's certainly not anything to sneeze at. That's a whole rotation for a lot of college basketball teams. So yeah. certainly they yeah. had a lot, to, a lot to make up for, right? Yeah, and, you know, Drake London too. I mean, I, I, I have – you know, my little brother's a manager on the team. One thing that he said is, you know, Drake London in practice really gave the first team a great look in terms of scout team. Uh, you know, he was strong, athletic, could shoot the ball. And, you know, I actually think that, you know, Drake London being on the team, at least for practices and whatnot, really kept that team sharp uh, and really got them ready uh, for, for upcoming games. And, you know, I think that's important, especially, you know, in, a, in an environment that we're in now where you have a lot of these, you know, kids that think everyone thinks they're going to the NBA. No matter if you're a three-star, four-star, five-star recruit, everyone thinks they're going to the NBA. And it's very easy, and I've seen this firsthand, for people to kind of get down and not take practice seriously or not take a scout team seriously because, you know, they think they should be on, you know, the gold team and not in the Cardinal team. Um, and to have someone like that, who's as strong and athletic and smart, like, like Drake London is to have that giving you a good look that definitely makes you sharper and more prepared for upcoming games. So I actually, I really do think that's a big loss. People might laugh and be like, well, he never played. He's a football player. Yes. But he did so much more for that team than, you know, performing within those 40 minutes of the game. 
Yeah, yeah. Certainly when you have to go up against someone who is his kind of size and athleticism, uh, it even if he, you know, is, is not playing as much as, you know, guys around the country who are that same size and that same athleticism, though, I certainly agree, really helps you prepare for kind of those elite level athletes that you're not just going to see every day and that you're not going to have just lined up on these teams, right? Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about the returners, the the guys who who did come back to this team because uh, they do make up a, a fair amount of the important you know players and the rotation players on this team. So uh, the six players that I had who who returned were uh, Isaiah Mobley, the sophomore forward, sophomore guard Ethan Anderson, Max Agbankpolo, uh, sophomore forward. So that's three guys from that uh, recruiting class alongside Big O, uh, that huge recruiting class for USC that are coming back for their second year. And then redshirt junior guard Noah Bauman, who we've seen uh, you know play a, a pretty crucial role in some of these games here. And then redshirt senior guard McKay Anderson and junior guard Taylor Lewis. So among that group of guys, Chris, who you know who has kind of stood out to you so far this year, uh, perhaps in how they've transitioned from last season or just coming on and, and and really kind of showing something for this season. Yeah. So Isaiah Mobley has definitely taken the leadership role, right? And if you look at this team, their two captains are sophomores. The two captains are Isaiah Mobley and Ethan Anderson. So that right there just shows you kind of like how young this team is. Uh, I've been very impressed with, with Isaiah so far. You know, I, I don't think he had as good of a freshman year as he would have wanted or as a lot of us Trojan fans would have wanted. Um, I think he's kind of settled in to his role on the team right now. Um, you know, he's a, he's the fourth leading scorer, uh, getting about nine points a game. Um, and he, but, but he's getting about eight rebounds a game. You know, he and his brother Evan uh, have been, you know, two of the top rebounding uh, forwards in the entire conference, uh, and that's pretty special. So, uh, you know, I, I think Isaiah is a very important piece of this team, um, and I think he's settled in well. Ethan Anderson's been out with a back issue since the, uh, since the third game of the year. Uh, I've always loved Ethan Anderson. I think he's going to be a great four-year player for SC. Uh, once he gets back healthy, I think he will be sorely missed in the backcourt. Um, you know, Taj Edie needs a little help back there bringing up the ball uh, or else he's just going to get exhausted as this season continues. Uh, but Ethan provides not only a ball handler, uh, but, a, but a good, solid defender who can pick up at half court. Um, and then I, I've always been a fan of Max Aguapolo. Um, You know, he, he's a little streaky of a shooter. You know, the way he plays uh, almost kind of makes it look like he he isn't going as hard as he should be, but that's just kind of his style and how he plays. Uh, I think defensively he needs to get better. I think that's one of Coach Enfield's, um, you know, not issues, but one of the things he's really trying to work on Max with is, is his defensive uh, mindset um, and, and where to be on the floor in terms of like a shell drill more or less. And, I think if Max improves his defense, he's going to get a lot more minutes uh, because offensively he has the tools. Uh, sometimes he needs to take a little bit of time to kind of let the game come to him. And once he settles into the game, you know, he's got a great three point shot. Uh, he's got a good mid range jumper and he can do a lot, uh, but, but he needs to work better um, or get better, excuse me, on the defensive end before that can happen. And then the other guys are role guys. Um, you know, Noah, Noah Bowman sat out last year um, as he transferred from San Jose State. Uh, I got to see him play against the Aztecs a bunch when he was at San Jose State, and 
I always thought he was the best shooter on the floor whenever I saw him. Uh, you know, it's a little different here. He's not going to be kind of the guy. Uh, he's going to be a role player. He's going to come off the bench. Who knows? He might start a couple games. But his job's really going to be to rebound and to hit open threes. Um, and when they, you know, play against a team that's going to play zone or if they need a, a floor spreader, um, then he's going to be the guy. I mean, everyone says that he's the best shooter on the team. Um, and you can see, I think when they played, um, I think it was UC Irvine, he hit like four or five threes and he could just get it going. Once he makes one or two, you better watch out because he can, he can fill it up for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just a few thoughts that I've had about these guys. Um, I feel like uh, Isaiah Mobley is, is playing, especially recently with more, I think, like strength and aggression than I saw him play with at times last year. Uh, it was probably kind of tough when you have, uh, especially at the beginning of the season when they were starting him with uh, Big O and Nick, it was just kind of hard for him to like really find his place. And now yeah. I think that he's playing with like a lot more aggression. He's really like rocking the rim with some of these dunks that he's had. Uh, and that just wasn't particularly something that I saw from him last season. So I think that he's showing kind of like a, an improved aggressiveness for sure. Uh, with Ethan, I'm, I'm going to just kind of like withhold judgment for now because we just really haven't seen him all that much, but I'm, I'm similar to you. I'd, I love that uh, the kind of like bulldog type of point guard, the de- defensive like pass get up in you who also, you know, kind of like wins with like strength and stuff. And I think that's certainly a role that he can play for this team. And I agree with you that he will be a, a super helpful player to have back as a, uh, as a ball handler and a playmaker, which is, I kind of, I kind of think the area that this team has struggled the most with, especially while he's been out. Um, so we'll see how that looks when he comes back with Max, like, I, he's so tall is the thing that stands out to me. <laughs> yeah, he's six nine. He's so like when they put him and the two Mobleys out there and then throw whoever you want. I mean, Drew Peterson is also really tall and there's just arms everywhere and, and length and <laughs> athleticism everywhere. And it's in, it's insane. It's like uh it's like a college version of the Thunder back when they had like Durant and Ibaka and Westbrook and Andre Roberson all, all over the court. It's just like there's nowhere to really like pass the ball. Um, so I, I, I certainly see what you're saying. If he can kind of, uh, solidify the defensive fundamentals, you know, I think he has a, even more of a, of a skill set for defense than he necessarily does for offense, just because of his length and athleticism, he's going to be a tough guy to deal with. And then, uh, with, with, with Noah, I think, uh, it's, it's so important on a team that kind of lacks shooting in, in a lot of places, uh, that he, you know, gets time that maybe w- would be tough to get on other teams just because he does have a skill set that is really useful to this team. And I think is something that they need for sure. Yeah, totally agree with that. And when you look at some of these new guys uh, that have come in, you know, obviously everyone's talking about Evan Mobley. People are projecting him to be the number two overall pick in next year's NBA draft. Uh, you know, I think, I think he's a very, very special player. Um, and what's very interesting is, you know, you look at the game against Utah. Uh, I don't think he took a shot. He, he did not attempt one field goal. Um, and, and SC still won by almost 20 points. And, you know, it's funny. I, I've heard a lot of people say, well, that's embarrassing. Run a play for him. How does your best player not get an open shot? But it, to me, that just, it, it tells me that he's not forcing anything. And when your team wins by 20 against a, a good squad in Utah that just shows that he's making the extra pass. He's finding open guys and those guys are converting and the ball movement's working. And, you know, your best player doesn't need to score 25 points a night. 
he can score zero points. He cannot take a shot. If your team is winning by 20, everyone's doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, in my opinion, that that's that's fantastic coaching. Like Coach Enfield should get an award for beating Utah by 20 and having Evan Mobley not attempt the field goal. Like that's amazing. That's incredible. And that should be a, 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 a good thing for this team. For anyone who says that that's a bad thing, I can't disagree more with that. I think I think that's fantastic. Um, and so, you know, when you have that length um, and, and someone who's that big, and then you bring in an Isaiah White uh, who transferred from uh, Utah Valley, and then you have Chavez Goodwin who transferred from Woodford. Don't, I mean, you have 6'9 and 6'8 there along with 7 foot. And, and we're not even bringing in Isaiah Mobley, who's 6'10". Like, like right. these guys are big and they're strong. And you mentioned Drew Peterson. He's 6'8", and he's playing point guard half the time. He's a transfer from Rice, who I have to say, I didn't know a lot about him before before he, he came in. And you recall, he was supposed to sit out a year. But with everything going on, there there's basically no eligibility rules. This year is kind of a wash for everyone, and he got to play right away. Uh, and I've been, I've been very impressed with Drew. Um, like I said, I, I didn't know a whole lot about him. Uh, I was actually very surprised that first game against Cal Baptist when he started. Um, but he started all games, uh, and he's their third leading scorer at, at, you know, 10 points a game. And, you know, the passes that he's made, um, you know, his, his uh, intelligence on the court, I, I think he's been one of the main reasons for this team's success. And, you know, we still have him for, for two years. I mean, he, he could technically have two more years after this year if he wanted yeah. Um, so it's pretty exciting. And let's see who, who else am I missing here uh, on the track? Oh, Joshua Morgan. You know, that's another guy who, you know, we saw him, uh, he played at Long Beach state when, when the Trojans played them last year. And I was like, man, that guy is almost seven feet tall. He can really who all of a sudden he transfers in and he can play right away if he wants to. This team is so deep. And I think this is going to be one of, one of coach Enfield's, uh, you know, biggest coaching challenges in his, in his time coaching USC. Cause I mean, you look at these guys and they can go 10, 11 guys deep. I mean, Reese Waters is a, is a freshman who should still be in uh, he should still be in high school. Yeah. And, and he can come in, he can play. And next year he'll be a full on freshman. He can even red shirt next year if he wants to. Right. It, it's incredible. He, he came in the other night, had five points in five minutes. Hit a nice pull-up three, if I remember. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's looking impressive. Uh, in terms of the guys that you already kind of covered, I think I just want to talk for a moment about Evan Mobley. And, like, I thought that I thought that Big O, like, enveloped people at the rim. But Evan Mobley, like, his length is just unbelievable. It's a, it is a problem for literally everyone that plays against USC. And I think that is one of the reasons why they can win a game by 20 when he doesn't have, you know, like very much of an offensive performance at all is because he will still make an impact on, on one side of the court pretty much every time down. And I always grew up, you know, learning about like, it's actually good when your best player can dominate a game with 10 shots, you know, like that's kind of like the, the magic Johnson, Larry bird kind of model of, of a superstar. And I don't know, I'm certainly not going to say that Evan Mobley is Larry Bird or Magic Johnson for sure. That's not what I meant. But uh, just the fact that they can win a game by 20, and I don't know if I would say that he dominated, but he didn't have the the game that most people would have if they were if they had zero points and like five rebounds or something because he was still just you know enveloping people at the rim basically. Yeah, 
I mean, some of those blocks he has, it looks like he can block them with his chin. It's he gets up there and he just, he's so long and so big. And some of those blocks are, are very fun to watch. And I think the rest of these guys, they just, they kind of fill in very nicely in terms of their skill set, right? Like Chavez is a good, is a really, really good third big man to have. If, if you're just trying to, uh, if, if like the Mobley's dead in foul trouble or something, he can really hold that position down as, and is very solid, especially defensively. Uh, Isaiah White is like the, the energy kind of guy. And, uh, you know, like balls to the wall all the time, always, always playing hard. And I think that that's someone that every, every single team needs. And then Drew Peterson, like you said, can kind of just fill in the gaps everywhere. You know, he can shoot well, he can uh, distribute the ball, he can take it to the basket, he's a good defender. Um, and, and I think that that's, I don't, I don't know if I want to say glue guy, because I don't know, you know, what these guys are in terms of the, the chemistry on the team. But in terms of a skill set, he is kind of like a uh, put it all together because he can be anything that you want kind of guy. And then the last guy that I would really want to talk about is, is Taj Eady because I was especially super impressed with him at the, at the beginning of the season with just how like polished and poised he is as a, as a point guard. And it, it feels like he's been playing with some of these guys forever uh, because he just, he doesn't make a ton of wrong moves out there on the court. Yeah. He's, he's very solid. Don't have to really worry about him turning the ball over. And, you know, he's, he's one of those Herb Sednick Santa Clara guys. Right. And when we saw, you know, a, a big Santa Clara transfer last year was uh, KJ Fagan for San Diego State. And you saw what he did uh, uh, for that team last year, taking them to, you know, a, a, what was it, like a 33-2 and two record, um, and they were undefeated the majority of the year. And Tajidi is kind of cut from that same clock. Tough defender, can hit the open three, good with the ball. Um, I think if, if – if he didn't transfer into SC, I think this team would be in a lot of trouble uh, without um, uh, uh, Ethan Anderson right now. Uh, luckily, uh, he's there and he can he can take over those ball handling responsibilities. And, and he's been a great defender for this team. Yeah, and and you know by talking about these players, we've done a fair amount of, of recapping of the season. So I kind of want to focus on the the big kind of part I guess that that people would talk about with this team which was the uh the three-week break that they had to take because of positive COVID tests on the on the team uh between I think their their third and fourth game or something like that uh yeah very early in the season to to have to go on a three-week break when all these new faces are trying to gel with each other and I wanted to ask you how you feel like they've done with that so far uh coming back at uh their two and one since since that break so what have you seen from them since then yeah, it was right after the UC Irvine game uh, when they had to take their their little midseason vacation. And you know, what it's funny because usually when you start talking about you know the conference games, about fourteen to sixteen games uh, before that you can really evaluate a team and really dive into their roster and their top players and and uh, you know what they're good at, what they're bad at. We only have eight games to talk about, so you know you were kind of missing half of the season at this point. Uh, but, you know, when they took that time off, no one could practice together, right? When you, when you think about, they played UC Irvine on December 8th, and then their next game was on the 29th. And within that time period, they had one full contact player-on-player practice. And then they come out and they beat Santa Clara by 23 points. Yeah. That was pretty impressive to me. Um, and then I feel like we had a little dip against Colorado. Colorado always plays as well. Uh, you know, Tad Boyle's a great coach and 
you know, he, he kind of takes on the mentality of, you know, we're tougher than you. And he goes into, you know, play UCLA and USC. And he just says, we're going to beat the crap out of you. And, and he's very good at it. Um, but I thought we bounced back very well against Utah. Um, and I thought the, the kind of three headed big man monster of Evan Mobley, uh, Chavez Goodwin and Isaiah White were very impressive together. You know, I thought Isaiah White, like you said, he was kind of the energy guy and he brought a lot of fight in the, in the first 20 minutes of that game and really kind of set the tone. Um, and even when Utah climbed back, uh, you know, I see went up like 16 points in the beginning, Utah came back, cut it to within five or six. Uh, and then they took the lead at one point, you know, the team didn't waver. And that was, I, I remember watching the game and I saw that and I was like, well, this is going to be interesting here. We're going to find out a lot about these guys because it's very easy when you lose a 16 point lead to go, Oh, you know, we took three weeks off. We're still getting back into it, you know, but these guys really turned the corner and they fought and, and, and they fought hard. And I was, I was very pleased to see them turn it around in the second half. Their defense turned it up a notch. Uh, they held Utah to under 30% shooting. And if you look at, at USC defensively, there are top five in the country in defensive field goal percentage at about 35%. I think Washington State's actually leading it, which is kind of surprising. Uh, but SC's top five. And that speaks volumes about what Enfield has done for this team defensively. Um, and, and I can't give Enfield all the credit. You know, Jason Hart, Chris Capco, those guys are ferocious uh, as they're coaching these guys, coaching them up, especially on the defensive end. So those guys have been have been really, really good for these players in terms of, you know, getting their minds right defensively. I feel like in that Utah game, we saw kind of the lights come on, on, you know, getting into specific spots at the right time. Uh, the, the defensive, uh, you know, transitions, were very good. The rebounding was spot on and they really came to play defensively against Utah. I was very proud of our guys for that. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about just knowing your team's identity and on offense, I think that's still a little bit up in the air. It's, it's kind of hard when you don't have uh, too many playmakers or shooters like this team kind of lacks a little bit, but they know who they are overall as a team and they know definitely know who they are defensively. And that's, I think, kind of been the key in coming back when uh, I, I was covering a, a few of the games since they, since they came back. And I would ask them, you know, like what, you know, how, how are you guys so successful in, in coming back from a three week break like this when you have so many new faces? And it's just they kind of pound like the defensive principles all the time. Enfield said that Isaiah White has said that. Uh, and then also just the level of competition on this team. I think Isaiah White really emphasized is like when you're in practice, you're going up against a bunch of really great players. Like you said, they go, I don't know, like 11, 12 deep of of guys who can, who can easily play at this level. And when you're practicing with those kind of guys, it it makes you work that much harder. So you can miss three weeks of practice with all of them and everything. But the first one that you jump back into, you're just thrown right back into that fire and you're having to to bring in immediately. And I think that that's been super important for for them coming back from from this break and not really showing a whole ton of rust uh, after 21 21 days, I think, uh, between games. I mean, it's like what Pete Carroll used to say in like uh, Competition Tuesday, right? Iron sharpens iron. I mean... You know, Isaiah White did say that actually. He used that exact saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, but it's true. You know, I mean, what, you know that any one of these guys who is on the bench can take your spot in the starting lineup. So 
having that motivation to continue to be a starter or continue to get playing time, knowing that there are you know five or six other guys that could take your spot in a second, that makes you sharper. And, and you know, Enfield has built that team with this depth, and that's only going to help these guys moving forward. Yeah, and before we go here, let's talk a little bit about the games that the Trojans have coming up. They're going to be playing uh, Arizona. I guess by the time this goes out, it'll be later today, so make sure that you give this a listen as quickly as possible. And then they're playing Arizona State on Saturday. So, Chris, you know, what are you, what are you kind of thinking about those games? Uh, Arizona has been very successful to start this season, while uh, Arizona State has kind of lagged a little bit behind but still has a ton of talent. So what are you seeing from these two teams? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're always going to have, a, a, you know, very athletic, uh, you know, high volume in terms of offense team when you play both Arizona and Arizona State. That's just how their coaches coach. Um, and, you know, kind of, piggybacking off what we talked about earlier in terms of the transfer portal and whatnot, you look at Arizona and three of their top four scorers are, are transfers. Uh, their top scorer, James Akingo, uh, who's averaging 14 points a game. He transferred from Georgetown. Uh, Jamaro Baker Jr. Uh, averaging you know 13.7 points a game. Uh, I think he uh, came from Kentucky. Uh, and Jordan Brown is a Nevada transfer who's averaging 10 points a game. Um, so, you know, a lot of new faces for Arizona too. Um, you know, Sean Miller, you know, he loves to play defense. He loves to get up and down. Uh, Arizona is nine and one, three and one in conference. Um, they haven't, in my opinion, uh, really played, uh, many, many teams. I mean, you know, they opened with Grambling state. Uh, they, they won a close game against Eastern Washington, uh, by three points. Uh, they played Cal state Bakersfield. They played, uh, UTEP, um, so they, they haven't really played a ton of big name teams. Uh, they lost to Stanford who we all know Stanford's very good this year. They lost to Stanford by three points. Um, and then they, and then they, they beat Colorado pretty handily, which is a very good win in my opinion, especially when you saw what Colorado did, uh, uh to the Trojans. Um, and then they, they swept the Washington schools last week, including a really tight one against Washington state. Uh, that went into double overtime. That was, that was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and they put up, you know, 86 points against the Washington State team. And as I said earlier, they're a top five uh, in opposition field goal percentage. So, you know, these guys can fill it up. You know, they can score. Um, a couple things that worry me about this Trojan team uh, when, when you look at this game against Arizona and against Arizona State, uh, free throw percentage. And, and, you know, it was the same thing that happened last year. And I just shake my head every time I see this. But the Trojans are shooting 60% for the free throw line. I mean, that, that just cannot happen. And when you get into conference, every point matters. And to be shooting 60%, and, and these guys are getting to the line a lot of times. Like, they're doing a good job taking the ball to the rim, getting fouled, going to the line. But when you miss two free throws, it's turnover. It's just it's, – it's, it's an empty possession and a turnover. And they need to get better at that. They need to make these free throws, especially on the road. One of the things that uh, Coach Floyd, my coach at SC, always used to say is when you make more free throws than the other team attempts, you have a 75% chance to win the game. He's like, it's just, it's complete statistics. Look at everything. If you make more free throws than the other team attempts, there's a 75% chance you make the game. And to be honest, I, I couldn't tell you the last time the Trojans did that in the last two or three years. Um, and luckily, they've still won a lot of games. But that's one thing that concerns me. And then you kind of touched on it earlier is this team can go minutes without scoring. 
uh, when you looked at the UConn game, which was a fantastic game and they almost won it, they had a seven to eight minute stretch where they didn't make a field goal. You look at the Colorado game, they had a six to eight minute stretch where they didn't make a field goal. Those things can't happen, especially when you go on the road to big time schools like Arizona, Arizona State. You can't have long field goal drives. You just can't do it. And those are two things that make me a little nervous. Um, but like you said, Arizona on Thursday, Arizona State, who was, I think, uh, uh, projected to finish uh, second in the Pac-12 this year. Some people thought that they could finish first. Uh, you know, the one thing that, <laughs> I mean, say what you want uh, about their coach, uh, Bobby Hurley, but he's not afraid to play anyone. Uh, I've always been very impressed about uh, who he schedules uh, in the beginning of the year. Um, you know, Rhode Island, you know, that, that's a very good team. Uh, they won a close one there by six points versus Rhode Island. Uh, you know, they played Villanova really tough. Um, you know, San Diego State, which is a mid-major that no one wants to play. They ended up losing to San Diego State. Um, but, I mean, they'll play anyone, anywhere, anytime. Um, and and I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Hurley's coaching style, but I got to give him credit for that. Uh, but this team is very, very dangerous. I mean, Josh Christopher uh, is one of the best freshmen in the country. He's their leading scorer, uh, 17 points a game. Remy Martin's their heart and soul. Um, you know, he's been there. I, f- I feel like he's an eighth-year senior. I feel like he's been there forever. He's a Perry Ellis type. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, I mean, he runs the show, and he's a great little point guard, great defender. Um, you always got to, you know, he's going to pick you up almost three-quarters court every time. Um, and then I've always been very impressed with Alonzo Verge Jr. The guy can just fill it up. I mean, he is just the definition of a scorer. Um, and, and he's a guy that can get hot. I and mean, we saw that at Arizona State last year as he had that game basically wrapped up. Um, and he and he just brought him back. And then Rory Martin hit that ugly shot to win the game. Um, and, you know, you have Eddie House's son, uh, who's, who's, you know, a great player and a really good defender, uh, Jalen House. Um, this team's deep too. I mean, they can go eight, nine, 10 guys deep. And, you know, Tayshawn Cherry, who originally committed to SC, he always gets up very much for this game against the Trojans. So what I would like to see is for SC to get in his head early because you, you can distract him uh, with head games very, very easily. And he can play himself out of a game very quickly too. So uh, both these games are, are going to be fun. They're going to be exciting. Uh, you know, ASU has has missed a bunch of games because of COVID. They've had players miss uh, a bunch of games because of COVID. So if they can, you know, get get these guys back playing together, this is going to be a dangerous team. Um, and they could be second uh, to third place in the Pac-12 uh, once healthy and once all the cylinders are clicking. So two big games this weekend. Um, you know, as Coach Floyd always said, uh, you know, boys can win at home, but it takes men to win on the road. Uh, so this is, it's important. This is the first conference road trip. And I'm, I'm, we always hope for a split. It'd be also great to get two wins. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say this is uh, not only their first conference road games, but I think their first road games, like true road games anyway, I think they played UConn, but it wasn't like an actual road game, right? So we're going to see uh, what what USC has has for, for those kinds of situations. Uh, certainly will be different without uh, the full capacity of fans in the stands, but it's still difficult to, to go into another team's building and win. Just two things uh, or a few things that I would want to point out about these teams before we get going here. 
Uh, Arizona's scoring margin, I, I've always been a, a, a big fan of the scoring margin as an indicator of how good a team is rather than necessarily the one-loss record. Uh, Arizona is winning their, their games by 14.6 points per game. Arizona State has a scoring margin of 0.5. So, you know, the, the competition is, is, is different for sure, but Arizona has really been a team that is winning the, all of their games kind of handily early in the season. I think that that is kind of the thing to focus on rather than maybe saying that Arizona State is like lagging or something because their point differential is, uh, is not as great. I, I think that Arizona is a real team to, uh, to, to worry about. You, you mentioned the uh, the field goal percentage for teams that are playing Arizona. It's at 39.4% right now, which I, I think really lines up with your point that USC is going to maybe be in a bad matchup with the way that they can go cold offensively. And then also 29.4% from three for teams that are playing against Arizona, I think is notable. Whereas uh, Arizona State, I, I will say, is, is up at allowing 46 and 36 percent in in those two areas so i think the game against arizona will certainly maybe be more of like a grinded out kind of kind of affair whereas arizona state might be more of like the two teams getting up the floor putting a lot of uh putting a lot of points up on the board um so just a a few things to to look at for that really agree that's going to do it for my first episode uh co-hosting this podcast and uh, Chris, I wanted to to thank you. It's, it's it's been a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to continuing this every week for sure. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun season. Uh, we're gonna have a lot to talk about. Uh, there are a lot of good games on the schedule. I think you know the Pac-12 is is going to be up this year. There are a lot of good teams. Uh, once all these teams get healthy, and hopefully no more games will get postponed or canceled, um, and it should be it should be great. Aiden, I really appreciate it, and uh, for everyone out there. You know, don't be shy. Uh, and you, you, those people out there who are listening to this usually aren't shy. You can uh, ask questions and hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is C Penrose number one number zero, and same thing for Instagram, C Penrose number one number zero. Yeah, and uh, for my socials, you you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at. Uh, A-I-D-A-N-B-E-R-G underscore. I, f- I thought I would uh, spell it out because a lot of people like to spell it with an E-N uh, <laughs> to, to just make that clear for everyone. And then also uh, a programming thing. We're going to be hoping to put this out every week on, on Wednesdays. Uh, this show, like we said, ran a little bit long. So we, uh, we're probably going to be putting this up Thursday morning before these games. Um, but yeah, look, look out for, for this show. Every, every week on Wednesdays, pretty much anywhere that you can find your podcasts. So I think that's going to do it. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Right on. Right on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.